Listen, we're carrying on with our series out of Second Timothy this morning. Uh, for those of you that are visiting here for the very first time, uh, we want to say welcome. Uh, it's great to see you. It's great to meet you. And uh, my name is Rudy Botha. I'm the pastor of evangelism and outreach here at the Rock Church. Uh, been in this new position or new title as of October 1st. Uh, but yeah, basically been at the Rock Church here for just over five years. Joined the Rock Church in September of 2018, where my wife and I now, um, I think Marim at that stage was uh, eight months old, nine months old, that we moved down from Williams Lake to Squamish to specifically join this church, to be part of the Rock Church. We really sensed and felt that uh, God was calling us to move down here to, to join in with what God was doing and going to do through this specific expression of the church here in Squamish. And so we love this church family, and uh, we welcome anyone who is maybe visiting here for the very first time. Um, as I'd mentioned before, we are in a series out of uh, the epistle written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy, a young pastor from uh, or in the church in Ephesus. And uh, we have these study guides. And you will see in your study guide, we are on page 26, but there was a printing error. I'm not sure how many of you uh, noticed that. So uh, last week's sermon was on 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 to 19. Now you will see, see on page 26, it gives the same scripture again. Uh, our passage that we're looking at today, you will then have to follow out of your Bible or on your app. We're in 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 to 26. Uh, for community groups, Community groups or MCGs, missional community groups, leaders, your questions on page 29 are, of course, based off of the correct scripture. Your questions and everything is based off of 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 to 26. Okay, everyone clear with that? Right? Yes, no one is perfect, and uh, so we make some mistakes, but anyways, God's, God's grace is sufficient for us. Okay, so we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 20 to 26. And uh, I'm going to read it to us this morning. And it's out of the ESV Bible. And so if I don't have the verses, everything up there word by word with, uh, with us this morning. But if you can follow in your Bibles. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this. Now in a great house. They are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house ready for every good work. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, 
able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That is our text this morning. Let us just pray before we get started. Father, we just thank you once again that we can yeah, come and sit at your feet, at the feet of Jesus, and just come and listen. And Father, we thank you that we can ask for your spirit to come and minister to us, to come and teach us. Uh, Jesus, you promised that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate interpreter. And so we need your help. Father, I need your help. Um, we pray this and we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning's uh, sermon title, you can put it up there, Alec, the first slide, is An Honorable Vessel. I'm going to walk us through four points. The consecration of the vessel. So we're going to look at the question of what does it take to be that kind of honorable vessel for the Lord. We're going to look at the formation of this vessel. In other words, how is such a vessel, an honorable vessel, kept in the right direction or formed? So it's spiritual formation. The application of that vessel, so in other words, how such a vessel, such an honorable vessel, is to be used mightily and effectively in the kingdom of God. And then, fourthly, what is the hope through such a vessel? Now, if I were to ask you this morning, what are the character qualities that you look for in a political candidate? What would you say? What is it that you look for in the person that you want to vote for who is going to represent you in this region, maybe in the province, but even more importantly, your country? George, why are you laughing? It's not funny. It's a good question. You need to consider this if you're going to vote, right? Uh, we, we have general elections maybe coming up, what, when, 2025? Okay, so, but what are the things that you look for in such a candidate? Because what the world is looking at, I want to suggest to you, is vastly and extremely different from what the church looks at when it comes to who are at, at the top, or who are the people or the leaders that are chosen to govern over God's people. I want to suggest to you that in the world, when it comes to electing or going for a political candidate or someone who is a CEO of a company, it used to be that competence is the most important thing. In our current cultural moment, competence is kind of like neglected 
in the name of we want diversity, equality, and equity. Those are all very good things, diversity, equality, and equity. But if we focus on those things at the expense of competence, whether or not someone is actually capable to do the job, there will be consequences. And I think our country, and when I say our country, I believe uh, I'm talking about Canada. I'm a South African, but I'm a Canadian citizen. Our country, we are currently in a situation where, as a result of the neglecting of competence, and having the right people in the right positions, we are facing extreme challenges because we have chosen to go, and go a route to say we would much rather focus on diversity, equity, equality, good things, but not necessarily the right people. But bring in morality. I want to suggest to you this morning that within our culture today and within the world, and not just today, I think overall in history... The question is asked, what kind of a role does the moral character of such a person play? If you think about the title, Prime Minister or President, what does that mean? What does it mean to say that someone is the President or the Prime Minister? The way, the way that I look at it and the way that I understand the word Prime, it means really good, right? Like you, it's, it's a premium or a Prime, it's like the best. It's like the standard. The same with president. Okay? To set a president means you set an example. So it used to be that a political candidate or someone who is a candidate for a leadership position, whether that be with Amazon or Boeing or Microsoft, moral character plays a big role. But in our cultural moment, I want to suggest to you that Moral character is very much overlooked. We would much rather have a political candidate in a position that's going to sort out everything. A political candidate who's going to sort out the immigration issues at the border, who will build a wall, for example. Or a political candidate who will sort out all of these other far-left all far right guys to bring us back into the middle. We don't really care what his moral character is. We just want him to do the job or her to do the job. You might disagree with me on that. But that is what we see play out in our world. What we are looking at here today is a text that paints that picture again of how the church functions. And what is the requirement of God? What is it that we as Christians within the church, how do we conduct ourselves and how should we see ourselves and it's not just a text about leadership. Yes, it is the Apostle Paul writing to his protege, to Timothy, a young leader, a young pastor. But it's a text that is for each and every one of us to ask the question, what is the character of us in our spheres of influence? And do we understand how that plays an, a, a pivotal role in how people view not only you, but the church and Jesus Christ. It's very important. This text talks about the fact and, and points towards the fact that who we are in Christ Jesus, who we are in the secret place, who we are at home, who we are when no one else sees me, when only God sees me, that person and our character 
is of utmost importance before we even start doing. You cannot do before you actually are what God has called you to do or be. And so it starts with the first point that Paul is driving home here for Timothy. To be an honorable vessel means to be consecrated. Let's look at the first verses, verses 20 and 21. Just going to take a sip of water. Paul carries on with this picture of, in, in 1 Timothy, he told Timothy, listen, Timothy, this is how we, we ought to behave. This is how one ought to behave in the household of God. So he paints this picture of the church being like a great house. He says, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. picture that I want to just put up there to give us a visual about what Paul is talking about here is a distinction between two kinds of, let's say, utilities or vessels that were found in, in those ancient times. They were those that were of gold and silver, like the goblets and, and plates, and then you got wooden buckets and, and jars of clay. But what Paul is painting here is a picture of what is still the truth for us today. Within a house, there are certain utilities, there are certain instruments, there are certain utensils that we use that are honorable, they're shiny, they're great. It's the kind of things that you take out during Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas when your family is coming or special guests are coming and you entertain people and it's for honorable use. It's the kind of utensils that you use in your house that is visible and present at the dinner table. But there are certain things in your house that are not visible at the dinner table. You would agree, right? Like, I don't know what you call that thing, the thing that unblocks, the, unblocks a, a toilet. You don't have that visible for everyone to see that comes into your house. Does that make sense? But you need it in your house. You do need it. There are certain instruments in your house that are just not seen as honorable, but they fulfill a specific purpose. They do certain things, they have certain functions that are regarded as maybe as disgraceful. It's not necessarily sinful. There are aspects of our lives as human beings that is not necessarily sinful, but it's things that we just don't bring out into the open. And, and Paul is painting that picture for Timothy to say that, hey, listen, this is what the church is like. There are some people, some vessels within the church that are for honorable use. They are put up for display to build up the church. There are others that are for dishonorable use. They are wood and clay, but they form part of the body. They might not look 
and they are not used for these honorable purposes, but they are still needed. It's for those various functions that still need to make the household work. Paul paints this picture in Romans 9 verse 21 where he says that, listen, um, God is the one who takes the same amount of clay and out of that clay he forms different parts or different vessels, some for honorable use, other for dishonorable. And then he says, who are you, O man, that you then question God as to how you've been made? And Paul paints this picture again here for Timothy to say that, Timothy, you've got to understand, within the church, you've got all these various people. The church for 2,000 years has consisted out of these kinds of vessels. It's a mixed bunch. You have believers mixed in with unbelievers that come together, and then also in the middle there's a bunch of people that are maybe nominal. Meaning that maybe they have a Christian culture, they think they are Christian, but they are just going through the motions. They are sitting in the pew every Sunday morning, but there's no change in the life. The Holy Spirit is not at work, but it's still part of the church. It's still part of the congregation. It's a mixed bunch. In Matthew 13, Jesus talks about it this way. He uses the parable of the weeds and the weeds. After talking about the sower, he says the kingdom of God is like a sower that sows good seeds. But then when his servants are sleeping at night, there comes an enemy and sows weeds. And the two grow together. And the servants then notices this and they come to the master and they say, should we tear out? Should we take out the weeds? And the master says, no, 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 no. Let it all grow together because at the harvest time, we will separate the weeds from the wheat. The weeds will be burnt up and the wheat will be taken into the storage houses. That's the picture of the church. It's a picture of actually what, what happens within the church. It's full of hypocrites. Have you heard someone say, yeah, yeah I've tried church. Bunch of hypocrites. Have you heard that? Have you said that before? It's a, it's a self-defeating statement. Because it assumes whoever says that, that you are the one who is not a hypocrite. And, self, and pretty much righteous and, and perfect. Paul is trying to paint the picture that, listen, wake up. Real church, reality church is the fact that there are hypocrites. And it's a place where all of us come to, whether we have been in the faith for a very long time, a short time, or we're not in there, to acknowledge, hey, listen, I'm a hypocrite. I fall short of God's glory every day. And the way of the healing and how that works for a hypocrite is to acknowledge your sin and, and to walk in the grace that God has for you, but to follow a pattern that Jesus says, listen, this is not fun, man. Reality church is not church the movie where everything is perfect and we've got everything shiny and new and everyone is happy the whole time. But it's actually a process of continual sinning and offending one another and forgiving one another. If you have not been offended in the church yet, welcome. Okay? It's bound to happen. How will you respond? Today's text will challenge us in that. How will you respond? Because I, if, it's not a matter of if someone is going to sin against you. It's a matter of when... And how will you deal with it? 
Will you use Matthew 18? Will you go and confront the person and say, listen, this is how you sinned against me. And will the person who is the guilty culprit then have the humility to say, okay, listen, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And, and are you then able to see that the picture that Jesus paints of the church is that this happens over and over and over and over again? Not seven times, 70 times seven times. Oh, we don't like that picture of church. That's not what we see on the TV. That's not what we see. That is the picture that Paul is saying. But he says, that is the church. We have these vessels, but to be an honorable vessel, those that cleanse themselves of dishonorable things, those that are then convicted by the Holy Spirit and they acknowledge their sin, they walk then in a different direction. They want to change because Jesus never came across people and healed them of their illness or came across, for example, the woman that was caught in adultery and said, hey, listen, go and live your life again the same way. No, he healed people, he forgave them, but he said, go sin no more. In other words, repent. There is grace and forgiveness, but go and sin no more. It's this picture that Paul is painting again, that this cleansing of your, of your sin, this uh, cleansing of and, and getting rid of things in your life that is a blockage for you to be an honorable vessel, is not done apart from God's grace. It is... Like in Philippians 2, Paul says, work out your, your faith with fear and trembling. Philippians 2, I think it's chapter, uh, verse 12 or 20. Um, but it's that picture. I have a quick example before we move on to the second point. Um, age 23, 24. At the age of 23, Repentance, big repentance moment after I'd been a prodigal. And what that means is I've, I was living really a hypocritical life. Professing faith in Jesus, but just living a life that was sinful. Turned towards the Lord in this new church. And I remember I had this conversation with this one guy who was on the worship team. And I was talking to him about some music I was listening to. At that stage, I was still listening to, to uh, Lincoln Park. How many of you remember Lincoln Park? Very angry, very, very angry band. Okay? And it's very sad in the end because the lead singer of that band committed suicide in the end. But at that stage, I, I, I was still listening to Linkin Park because that's what I listened to in high school, university. And this guy, he told me, you know what? Like, I used to listen to this music and metal. And, and when I came to Jesus, I really felt convicted about listening to the lyrics and just asking myself, is what I'm listening to really pushing me towards Jesus or not? I took offense at it. I was like, dude, what's wrong with you, man? Of course, Lincoln Park, nothing wrong with it. And then I put on my Lincoln Park CD again and crawling in my skin. All right. This guy was screaming and I listened to the lyrics and what a great band. But in that moment, I listened to it and I really sensed the Holy Spirit's conviction that if I wanted to pursue God and really have myself made available for Him to use in the capacity that He wants me to be in. Like, I can't listen to that. Now, doesn't mean that from there I just threw out everything. I don't want, I'm not promoting legalism here. I'm not saying, you, you know, it, it didn't work like that. But in, in that moment for me, 
my conscience was convicted. I was like, I actually, what do I want? I want to be a vessel that is becoming pure and holy. I want to consecrate myself. And this is a picture that we see in the Bible, uh, Joshua 3, 5. We see throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, before God used any leader or anyone for a significant purpose, there was a calling of consecration. Alec, if you could put it up. Before the Israelites went into the promised land, what happened? Moses led the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses was not the leader to take the Israelites into the promised land because he was disobedient. He was only able to see the promised land. Joshua takes over. God commands Joshua, go consecrate yourself and the people. And Joshua commands the people in Joshua 3, 5, consecrate yourselves. Tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Why? Why does God want us to do that? Well, Ephesians 3.20 is because we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God's prepared in advance, that we should walk in them. God has pre prepared good works for every Christian, every person who is in Him. The question is, what is holding you back from walking in those good works? According to Scripture, the majority of the time, it is sin. Those dishonorable things that keep us from actually walking in what God has called us for. We need the Holy Spirit's conviction so that we can consecrate ourselves. Okay. Amen. <laughs> right, that's the first point. The consecration. That is what it takes to become a vessel of honor. It is, listen, it's human agency together with God's grace and His Holy Spirit at work in your life. It's not only dependent on you. God does a work in you. The question is, are you responding? Are you following and wanting to be used for God's glory? And then there is the onus on you, the obedience that is needed to say, I want to rid my life of that which is blocking God's grace to flow through my life. Okay. So what does that look like then? Secondly, to if, if I'm consecrated as an honorable vessel, to be formed and continually be formed. Well, let's have a look. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. Flee youthful passions. Flee youthful passions. Flee youthful passions. <laughs> In our culture, what is esteemed? What is, what is it that we all, what is it that movie stars want to try and achieve their whole lives, even if they're 80 years old? Whether it's Madonna, Michael Jackson, I'm talking about old Old legends here of the entertainment world. Many of you will not remember. Do, do you know who Madonna is? <laughs> okay. I'm giving away my age here. But what is it that they try and do? Look as young and youthful and, and try and stay as hip as possible. I need to pursue and look the way that the youth looks. And I need to do what the youth does. The Bible says... Flee from that kind of a thing. The Bible always talks about 
growing up. The Bible says, listen, be a man, be a woman. Wake up. You cannot stay in your mother's basement until you're 40 years old and play Call of Duty. There's something wrong if that happens. Flee youthful passions. What is normally associated with youthfulness? Impatience. I wanted yesterday, mom, dad, I'm going to do this now. And if I don't get my way, how does a youth react? We as a family moved from Valley Cliff or Crumpet Woods to Brackendale last weekend. It revealed a lot of sin in me because I didn't get what I wanted. And I looked at this passage and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I need to flee youthful passions, but in the form of thinking that I'm just going to get things done my way in an instant. I need to flee from those kinds of things. I need to flee from that mindset. But the Christian walk, the Christian call is not just to flee. Okay, That example that I gave to you when I was convicted about the music I was listening to. It's one thing to throw out Linkin Park, but if I don't pursue something else, my life can become a testimony of, oh yeah, I was once a Christian, I smoked weed, and I did drugs, and I listened to this music, and I stopped doing it, and I cleansed my life, and now I'm good, I'm following Jesus. But I need to have a testimony that is not just about what I fled from, what I turned away from, and what I felt like was sinful and immoral, but actually, I need to run towards something. And it's in the end, someone, it's Jesus Christ, and it's righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Your call as a Christian on your life is not just to turn away from sin. It is about turning away to righteousness. It's one thing to try and cleanse out your life. But the problem is, if you don't follow Jesus, if you don't study His Word, rely on His Spirit, all you're doing is you're cleaning out your life, and everyone does that. There's there's all kinds of self-help books and self-help videos and things that you can do to really be a good moral person. But you know what the, the warning is that we get from Scripture. Jesus says, it's like a person who cleans out his house. It's very clean. The demons are driven out. But if it's not filled by the Spirit of God, that same demon that was in that house comes back and he's like, Woo, this is very clean. <whistles> Whoa, seven. Seven other demons, come with me. And it's chaos in your house. Many people experience that in their Christian walk because they, they're religious. They, they do things out of their own strength. I clean out my, my life. I've organized everything. I'm not doing these sins anymore. But they're not abiding in Christ. They don't have the Spirit in their life. They're not overflowing with joy. They're not walking in obedience. And you know what? can easily happen then that there are many other struggles that then appear and new sins that appear as a result of their lives not being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul paints that picture. He says, Flee from youthful passions, but pursue righteousness, peace, and love. Look at that verse. He ends off there with, he says, together with those who love the Lord. In other words, don't just 
Many people do this. Yeah, I'm sorting out my life. I'm following Jesus by myself. Oh, yeah, really? Who are you doing that with? Oh, no, it's just me and Jesus. It's me and the Bible. Oh, yeah? Are, so you're not part of a, a congregation? or n No, no. They're, they're full of hypocrites. That is what we see. That's the problem we experience. It is with those who love the Lord, with the church. Alec, you can just skip the next slide. If you can go to the one, 1 Corinthians 13. And it's this picture again, Paul painted in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, in other words, when I became mature, I gave up childish ways. Where are you at in this regard? What are the youthful passions? What are the things that you are pursuing? Man, it's, it's, it's consuming you. You love it, but it's actually youthful passions. It's stuff that is not, it's not pushing you towards the mission of God. They might be good things, but it's actually childish. And you're missing out on growing up and being a vessel of honorable use in the church for God's glory. Which then leads to the third point. If, if you're consecrated, made holy by the blood of Jesus, and you're obedient, cleansing yourself of the things that are keeping you from being that honorable vessel, and, and then secondly, if you're focused on being formed, you're, you're discipled, you're running away from youthful passions, and you're pursuing righteousness, peace, love, what is the application? What am I then to do in my everyday life as a Christian. Well, this is what Paul tells Timothy. He says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Paul is instructing Timothy here, and it's, it's got to do with the issue that was there in that church. False teachers were coming in. There were controversies. It had to do with eschatology. It had to do with whether we are raptured or are we, are we left behind. Also, there might be some folks that remember that movie series, Kirk Cameron, Left Behind. In, in that scenario there, there were people saying the resurrection has already happened. And they were saying that, listen, this life now that you live... It's a, it's a spiritual resurrection. It's not a literal resurrection that's going to happen. Your body is not going to be uh, literally resurrected. So the physical doesn't matter. You get those kinds of heresies, those kinds of teachings, even today in the church, where even the resurrection of Jesus Christ is being taught as, well, it wasn't a literal resurrection. It's just in the spiritual metaphorical sense. Paul says have nothing to do with those kinds of controversies. Uh, you could take it even further into secondary doctrinal issues. Are we in the millennium now? Right, if you look at Revelation, is, is the end times theology, is Jesus going to return and then there's going to be a millennium or is there no millennium? People make much of that. Or how old the earth is. 
That's not a salvation issue. You don't need to believe that the earth is billions of years old or six days old in order to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But I can guarantee you this. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, He's going to have an influence on how you think about things. Then you have to pay careful attention as to what He said about in the beginning. But those are just examples of how we can get sidetracked in these quarrels, these controversies. Paul says they breed Quarrels, they breed fighting. The servant of the Lord is not supposed to be like that. A Christian is not supposed to be that that Christian who's online, on Facebook, trolling everyone, and then, oh yeah, I'm just going to, okay. I did that before. It did not work. I, I looked like an idiot, and I was an idiot. A couple of years ago, 10 years ago, I think there was this big, Mega church pastor who had commented about, yeah, we need to forget about the Old Testament. Let's get it away. It's only the New Testament. We need to focus on that. And I knew for a fact there were some folks in my church. They really liked this guy. And so there was something that I posted online. Hey, <laughs> I'll show them. Ah, okay. Comment after comment and argument after argument happened. For what? Me, I, I, I'm the self-righteous one. I know, I know what to do. I know what the right answer is. Not beneficial. I wasn't kind. I wasn't kind to everyone. But you know what is the most important thing that I want to highlight out of this part in verse 25a is what, what Paul says, our reaction needs to be and how it needs to be is he says, you need to be able to teach and correct patiently enduring evil. The NIV translation says, Without resentment, without holding a grudge, without unforgiveness, but with gentleness. If there is anything that's going to be a hindrance for myself and for you in the church to be a vessel of honorable use, I could tell you it's this. It's resentment. Because here's the fact. People will let you down. Leaders will let you down. Rudy will let you down. Glenn will let you down. The elders will let you down. It's a fact. We're not perfect. But if, if we allow those kinds of things to fester, it's only to the detriment of yourself and actually the role that you can play in the kingdom of God. It's not about salvation. You're going to most probably, when you arrive one day in the presence of Jesus, hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But can we look at these things in your life? Because there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be an assessment of your life. What did you do with the talents you received? How did you use them? Did you utilize your time to be an honorable vessel or not? Ephesians 4.2, Paul says, Be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. In our day and time, there's a huge emphasis on the word tolerance. It's become a naughty word in the church. And the reason for that is, we associate it with what the culture uses it for. The culture uses it to say, you need to tolerate, in other words, approve of everything. If you're not approving of anything or something, it means you're hateful. 
Well, tolerance actually means that you know something is evil or wrong. You're tolerating it. You're like, ah, I tolerate it. It's like my three-year-old who is throwing a tantrum. I, I tolerate it to a certain level. Then there's a consequence. Then I'm like, okay, Daniel, let's go time out. And then there's a process of reconciliation. Tolerance means forbearance. It's something that you don't like. God is actually very tolerant and forbearing. That is His character. He is so patient that He will wait for millennia so that the world will repent. How's that for tolerance? We are commanded to be uh, bearing with one another in the church. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Listen, you're dealing with a bunch of people coming with all kinds of backgrounds. You're dealing with believers, unbelievers, nominal, wolves. There are wolves in the church. Jesus had 12 disciples. There was one wolf. He still chose that wolf. Isn't it perplexing? was part of God's plan. It's just a matter of fact. But you have to bear with it, Timothy. You have to bear with it, leader. You have to bear with it, Christian. That is how it is. So how much more do you not need the Holy Spirit in your life so that you have wisdom and discernment and you can express grace and forgiveness time and time again? That is the application. That is how it, what the call is to live out the life of being an honorable vessel. In conclusion, what is the hope thing? What is all the fuss about? Why is this important? Well, there is hope through this vessel. There is a plan that God has through an honorable vessel like this. Paul says this, God This is the reason why he is calling Timothy to live as an honorable vessel and to call others to live as honorable vessels. He says, so that God may perhaps grant them, these are the the people that are choosing to follow false teachings, those who are choosing not to follow Jesus anymore, so that they can be granted repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, so that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him, To do His will. Twenty twenty three was in my life and in my walk as a Christian and as a leader by far the hardest and the most challenging year of my life. What ended up, or what? started out as a break from ministry, a sabbatical that had to be three months, ended up being a year. The cause of that was personal sin, hidden sin. I'd fallen for the bait of Satan, allowing secret sin into my life, of which only I knew. But it is by the grace of God that I can stand here today. And it's by the grace that this church, and it's by the grace of lead pastor Glenn Davies that I can stand here today and I can honestly say that I'm able to deliver today's message and be back on track in the last number of months to be an honorable vessel for the Lord. 
But if it's possible for me, and I'm not, I'm not saying this as in a, in a way of saying, well, oh, if it's possible for Rudy to fall into that trap, wow, he, he must be something significant. No, just listen. If it's possible for a, a leader, a pastor, an elder to have sin in their life and to hide it and to walk in shame and be captured by the enemy in your mind, how much more for those who are maybe not in the Scripture or walking in wisdom or walking together with other Christians. I'm sharing that because I'm extremely thankful here today. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for Glenn. I'm thankful for the support that we as a family have around us and have had around us. And I'm sharing that because I know each and every one of you will most probably have some secret sin in your life no one knows about. And today is the day that Jesus is calling you to repent of it, to bring it out into the light, acknowledge it, and receive His grace and His mercy because this is what He wants to do through you as an honorable vessel. Matthew five sixteen, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus wants us as the church and you as a Christian to be walking in the light, to show humility, walk in repentance so that His glory will be revealed through you so that you can be a blessing in that sphere of influence where you're at, in that workplace, in your family. That is His goal for your life. That is what He wants to achieve. So in the end, I want to conclude just with that question again. What is it that is hindering you from being used as an honorable vessel? Let us trust that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal that to each and every one of us. Maybe it's a, an attitude. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's resentment, unforgiveness, something you hold against someone else. Maybe it's against the church. Maybe it is against whoever. But let's allow the Holy Spirit to convict us this morning before we take communion. I'm just going to pray for us and then Joey is going to come up to lead us in the Lord's Supper. Father, Lord, we thank you just for your grace your mercy, your forbearance. Lord, I thank you for your forbearance, your patience with me as I fall short of your glory every day. But Father, I come and pray. Come and speak to us. Speak to each and every person and come and cleanse us. Come and help us. Come and help us to be obedient, to be cleansed and to be utilized as those honorable vessels that you have called us to be. We thank you for that. We thank you that we can pray that in the almighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.